Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. All right, welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. Thank you for joining us for another exciting show. And today we've got our favorite. We got Joe Calhoun. Professor Joe Calhoun is back in the house. We're going to talk economics again today. We're going to talk about the the third key principle in the book that he's written or co-authored. So uh, thank you for joining us and buckle up because it's going to be a great show today that we talk with Professor Joe from FSU. Professor Joe, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Always a pleasure to be with you, Charles. Good. I look forward to it. And and uh, we were just well, we were just chatting about FSU and and uh, the start of school is this coming week. So everything seems to be kind of uh, undecided on what the universities are going to do, at least regarding football, and that's what always hits the news. But it affects the classrooms as well and the professors. So uh, you're looking at uh, are you going to go back in into the schoolroom uh, classroom? Or are you going to do the remote teaching? I am not. I'm going remote. I teach large classes of freshmen, uh, predominantly here at the university, and the university doesn't want that many people in one place. So my classes are going to be remote. I'll engage with my students through Zoom calls and, and other media type places, and they'll do their assignments online. Uh, we do have a handful of faculty, both in the Department of Economics and around campus, that are going to be doing some in-person classes, but those will be very small classes. Everybody's got to wear a mask and apply the normal social distancing rules. I think the last I heard, in total, if you counted up strictly the number of classes at Florida State, it's in a neighborhood of about 10% of the classes are gonna be in person and the other 90% are gonna be remote. And uh, of course the pandemic is, is driving all of that and the health and safety of all of our faculty, staff and, in, and students is, is driving that as well. So we're gonna we're gonna do the best we can to deliver the content in the most effective way. We're just not gonna be able to do it in a traditional way, but we're still gonna get that content out there for all of our students to get. Yeah, that that is uh, talking about economics and the effect on a local community. If only ten percent of the student come back to Tallahassee, that is a uh, that's got that's gonna have a big economic impact to the city of Tallahassee. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, in, in uh, a general neighborhood number, we've got about 42,000 students that attend Florida State in any given academic year. So if you do the math and if only 10% move back, that's obviously a small number. Right now, the guess is about 50% of students are actually going to move back to Tallahassee, even though about 10% of the classes are going to be in person. But I think it's an interesting combination of uh, students wanting to leave home, get out of their parents' house, and I think also mom and dad want those students to, to leave home. So I'm sure there's a little bit of a pull and a little bit of a, of a push in some of these households. Uh, but students certainly want and I think deserve that college experience being off on their own, even if they're living in an apartment and they never come to campus because all their stuff is remote. 
there's still a lot of personal maturity and growth that happens in those kind of environments. We just want those students to be safe. And, and I think that's the primary concern is that students are going to adhere to the social distancing that we impose on campus on their off-campus premises. And if they can do that, then we should have a very successful semester and they can all stay. If they don't do that, then unfortunately we may need to send them all home. Uh, so we all have our fingers crossed that they're going to do the right thing. Yeah, it's it's difficult, and it's uh, it's it really is hard to imagine what that's going to do to not just Tallahassee and the the economy here in Tallahassee, but that's across the the, the board. All all uh, campuses, it's going to affect those cities where the campuses are located in a big way. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen reports. You've probably seen the news: University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill opened for a week, and then they had a couple of outbreaks, and they went completely remote. Basically, the same thing happened at Michigan State and Notre Dame, and those are all very typical college towns. Their local economy is dependent heavily upon students being there, and when the students aren't there, that's a huge detriment to those businesses. And, and Tallahassee isn't necessarily your typical college town because we're the state capital, but yet the same kind of economic impact hits us as any other college town. So yes, we desperately need those students here. We want those students here and it's going to hurt because many of them are not going to be here. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that, that kind of raises a question that we can talk about in a future show, but is the, is the cost that we're going to incur for changing the way things happen, you know, we're not meeting in Tallahassee, we're not having classes in a classroom. We're doing it remote. Is the is the benefit of having less COVID cases worth the cost to these communities like Tallahassee and other communities across the, the United States? Yeah, and I think the other thing that sometimes people forget is there is a multiple balance act that we have here. You know, so much of it has been focused on the physical health, getting sick from COVID, and the economic health and that's certainly something we need to talk about and think about but you need to factor in the mental health the right. emotional health the spiritual health i mean those are things that are also part of this multi-tiered balancing act and some people aren't seeing that multiple dimension they're only seeing two they're seeing the health and the economic and I don't know about you, Charles, but, you know, some of my mental health is not quite the same because I've been cooped up at home. I'm not able to do my normal things. The traditions and the routines of my life are gone. And I really miss those. Yeah. And it has, at times, really been a, a drag. I, you know, I don't think I've been depressed over it necessarily, but there are times where I have been mentally exhausted just because I can't do my regular things and we need to think about those aspects of our lives as well we are multifaceted humans it's not just hey our physical health and that's the only thing we need to care about yeah that that is so true and and I see that in in my personal life but you know I see it more in my parents because my parents are they're even at a higher risk than than what I am and they're they've basically been locked in their house they've been um my mother's been very uh cautious about going out in public going out to eat or getting food from from the restaurant so you know when i when i talk to them i see that they're affected a lot more than what i am i still get i still get around i'm not closed up in the house but you still have even though i'm not closed up in the house there's still a um, 
there's an effect of that. I mean, we everyone yeah. has been affected by this, uh, whether they stay in their house all the time or whether they go to work or whatever that is. There, there's an impact that everybody's that everybody has felt from that. So there is a cost of this of of us looking uh, exclusively at one phenomenon, or if we look at the COVID, that's if that's all we're concerned about is let's don't get COVID then we forget about or we don't take into account all of the other things that are suffering because of our sole focus on the disease. Yeah. Even when we just look at the economics versus the health, you know, it's not a, a it's not an exclusive decision that you make. It's not all health, it's not all economics. There's health, there's economics, there's your mental, there's your spiritual, there's all of this thing that that you have to balance out and making those decisions and i hope that we're doing that uh you, you know you hope that the the federal government did that when they forced all the shutdowns uh because there's a tremendous cost uh not just financially but in in emotional stability and the suicides and the depression and all of the other things that you hear about now that we don't want the cost of that to be greater than the benefit received from not spreading covid Yes, yeah, very well put. And you see that with individuals making decisions these days. Uh, you, you see people basically saying, I'm going to give up a little bit of my health safety f to have a trade-off of an increase in mental health. So I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go to a park. I'm going to go do something because the benefit there is greater than the cost and the increased risk of going out and potentially capturing COVID. Right. And people are smart enough to make those decisions on their own, and we see them doing those kinds of things where, you know, other people are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, you're an idiot for leaving the house. And it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm making a different kind of trade-off. Right. And uh, my risk-reward factor is a little bit different than yours, and I'm willing to take on a little bit more risk in my physical health for the increase in benefit of my mental health by getting out of the house and, and having some sense of a regular routine, going to the store, going to a park, you know, doing whatever it is that, that people like to do. So we're, we're seeing people make their own decisions and, and, and it's manifested by dealing with that trade-off. Yep, that's really what you have to do. So let's, uh, those are important things that we talked about. Those are those are real issues that we're dealing with right now, and we're going to continue to deal with those as we until this until there's a a vaccine for this COVID, until we get herd immunity, until there's the correct therapeutics to deal with the the, the illness that we get that people get when they when they contract COVID. So it's not going away tomorrow. It's not going away in the in the near future. But we hope that a vaccine is on the way very soon, and that we get the the uh, the treatment for that even if there's not a successful vaccine so that we can treat people as they get ill yes so let's uh let's turn our focus to the the book that you're a co-author on this is common sense economics the third edition what everyone should know about wealth and prosperity we've had a couple of shows already on this joe and they have been very good shows we've talked about the um, incentives matter and there's no free lunches. Those are those are two of the key economic factors that we've already talked about. So today I'd like to uh, pick your brain on the third key element in this book. And uh, you know, after uh, after reading the book and going through the book and talking with you about it, 
you made the point that these 12 key elements that's in the front of the book they're not in a they're not in priority order you could have you could have mixed those up a list yeah right i mean the way i like to think about them is they're all important otherwise we wouldn't have put them in the book and it would have been impossible for us to prioritize them in in many regards and we've we're already starting to see this with some of our discussions is a lot of them really kind of go together you know they they start to blend together you just literally can't look at them in isolation we talk about them in isolation as as we go through the book just so that we can get these main ideas out there but when you make a decision as an economic actor whether that's as a business as a consumer as a government bureaucrat you know a lot of these things are really kind of spinning around in your head all at the same time and you don't necessarily think about them in isolation so yes it's a list we could have put them in any order uh, that's just the order that seemed to make sense as we were writing it up makes sense and we did last week I think we started jumping around and combining the uh, the two key elements that we talked about and, and really yeah. there's uh it, you know it goes back to the to the conversation we had earlier on COVID it's not you can't just isolate let's take care of our health or you can't just isolate incentives matter because there's other key right. economic elements to come into play when you in each decision that you go through whether whether it's a business financial personal any any type of decision you go through these these 12 key elements play a part in it yeah yeah absolutely good to so that decision decisions are made at the margin so um, you know for some people that sounds a little fancy and let's just uh, use a couple of uh, words that we might be able to substitute there so for anybody who says oh margin that you know that just doesn't make any sense to me okay well let's just translate margin means additional or incremental so we're thinking about making relatively small steps and for many times and for many people thinking in total is very accurate and and worthy of the situation sometimes percentages or ratios are very helpful so what we don't want to do is imply that you need to take all those kind of calculations and throw them out the window they're no good sometimes that's the best way to analyze a problem but there are many times where thinking on the margin is a much better way to solve a problem. So here's the classic thinking on the margin problem that we uh, illustrate. And I do this with my students every semester to, to get them used to this idea. So it's called the diamond water paradox. So when you think about it this way, this seems like almost an impossible situation to explain. You've got water, which we all know is essential to life for humans, for plants, for animals. If you take away water, that human, that animal is going to die within a couple of days. So water is critical to life. But yet when you look out into the world, water is incredibly cheap in terms of a price. It, it has low price and many times it's free, right? You right. can go to the local, you can walk down the hall to the drinking fountain and you can drink all day and it's, it's free in terms of no money price. Now that doesn't seem to make sense. Why would something that is essential to life be nearly zero price where a diamond, which it has many useful properties and we like to, to use them for a lot of different things, not essential to life at all. I mean, imagine a world where we eliminated all diamonds 
okay, maybe we wouldn't look as nice, but we would life would go on. Life would go basically on the same way, right? So something that is completely not essential to life is very expensive. I mean, diamonds are one of the most expensive things that you can go and buy. So that just doesn't seem to make sense when you think about it in total or with percentages. If you think on the margin, this becomes a very easy thing to explain why diamonds are very expensive and water has a very low price or has a zero price. On the margin, if I gave you a bottle of water, how much value am I adding to your life? I'm not really adding anything. You already have access, access to, free, to probably to all water. the water that you, you could possibly want and then some more. So if I said, Charles, thanks for, for uh, seeing me today. Here's a bottle of water as, uh, as a reward for your time. You would be like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're not giving me anything here. Right. Your real value turns into a zero price. If, on the other hand, I said, Charles, really appreciate your time today. Here's a piece of diamond. Not a cubic zirconia, a real diamond. Now, it doesn't matter whether you got a whole drawer full of diamonds at home or if you have zero diamonds at home. On the margin, one more diamond is very valuable. Right. If you didn't want it, you could go sell it and you can get that high price in the marketplace. So in total, there's a different way of thinking. On the margin, now we can easily explain why water is either a zero price or a very low price and diamonds have a very high price because it's this marginal analysis that then dictates the value, which then directly translates into a price. Is there, um, let's apply that to the, what we just got through talking about on the, how we deal with the, the COVID crisis. So the, the, the cost of closing down in full has a, yeah. that's a huge cost. There's, there's huge ramifications to doing that. Yeah. And you can the, the intent of that is to slow the spread down. So if you look at, that's the all-in, that's the total. And then if you look at measures versus a total lockdown, that's the margin. The measures, the additional measures would be six-foot distance or wear a mask. And what's the impact of that versus the total lockdown? Yeah, and, and another way of thinking about it is let's go back a, a few months. I mean, obviously, Florida and many other states have been into their reopening plans, but let's go back to when we were more into phase one. We were either in a really strict lockdown or we were much closer to a strict lockdown. Right. So I forget exactly how many weeks were there. So let's just role play. We were in strict quarantine lockdown for four weeks. Right. Now, thinking on the margin, your analysis would be like this. I've already been locked down for four weeks. What's the value that I'm going to create by maintaining another week or another month of lockdown versus what's the cost of keeping that lockdown? Right. And I think many states and many people took it upon themselves when they did that marginal analysis, they, they said the benefit of another week or month of lockdown is some amount, relatively small. The cost of that extra week or month of lockdown is pretty big. When the marginal cost is greater than the marginal benefit, that's a bad decision. You want to invert that. You want the marginal benefit to be bigger than the marginal cost. And even though no politician is going to talk this way because it sounds too fancy for them, but 
that's basically the analysis that they're going to go through. If I keep this locked down for an another period of time, how much value am I going to create? How much cost am I going to incur? And they need to find that sweet spot where hopefully the additional benefit is greater than the additional cost. And I think that's what pushed a lot of these states into reopening. And, and then you can talk about it in terms of mass. Okay, when do I either enforce the mask or when do I let the mask restrictions go? We've been wearing masks for a period of time. Let's keep everybody doing it for another six weeks or you know whatever time period that you're thinking about. What kind of value am I going to create? How much am I going to lower that risk? And if I let it go, then you know how much more risk am I taking on? So it's not this all or nothing. It's, you know, I've already done some things and I'm thinking about doing a little bit more. That's why additional or incremental are often words used in place of margin. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And the, uh, you know, I think the politicians, they may not say that, but they have to think in terms of what's the cost of this lockdown versus the benefit that we're getting from reduced number of cases. And that's that that decision or that examination is easier to do than when you get into the mask requiring the mask the the cost of that may not be as clear for instance in restaurants they the restaurant owners will tell you that if there's a mandated mask requirement or, or if people are required to wear a mask it affects people going out and going to places like restaurants yeah. so but to measure that or to know that that's going to happen is not as clear as it is to say we're in a total mandatory lockdown. We, we, can, we can more easily determine what the cost of that is to measure against the benefit. But when you're requiring people to wear masks, that, that determination of that cost is not as easy to come up with. Yeah, and, and this is the difficulty of, of dealing with uh, economics because unlike my friends over in chemistry or biology who can do these kind of experiments in a lab you know they can have one beaker with a set of chemicals and they can have another beaker with a different set of chemicals and they can compare and contrast we can't really do that very good in economics because we can't say alright some of the population you wear a mask and let's measure the benefits and another part of the population you don't wear a mask and let's measure a lot of times you don't know what the alternative is so you say we're going to impose mass or we're going to impose these guidelines and and then that's what actually people do and then what you'd like to be able to do is think about this counterfactual world of okay let's pretend if nobody was wearing a mask you know what kind of risks would be we incurring well you can't measure that data because there is no outcome associated with that data because people aren't doing it so the best you can do is just kind of come up with maybe a theoretical model or do some guesstimates about you know what might happen in the absence of mass but you're dealing with hypotheticals and and that's obviously not a good basis for making good decisions when you've got a hypothetical on one hand and real data on the other well you're gonna gravitate towards the real data and rightfully so true and that's even you know we were talking about what FSU is gonna do as far as in-person class in-person instruction every university is going through that same decision process and that there's a marginal benefit there's a marginal cost for doing that so yeah. you know they the the powers to be have made the decision on how much should be in-person teaching and the cost of not having 
more of that on campus. Yes, and there are some classes, you know, for example, my class, it, relatively easy to deliver remotely. I mean, I, you know, I've got video equipment and Zoom calls, and I can get my content across. So economics is a discipline that is pretty easily transferred to an online setting. But we've got lots of classes here at FSU that it's, it's literally impossible. I mean, how do you have a music lesson online through a Zoom call? I mean, let's suppose yeah, that I'm trying to difficult. teach you how to play the violin right now. I mean, you're in your office and you got your violin up next to you and I'm trying to give you instruction. I mean, you know, so our music professors are, are really struggling. Our theater department is really struggling. I mean, how, how do you how do you choreograph the next play through a Zoom call? You know, how do you teach somebody a very technical dance maneuver through a Zoom call? Right. Or my friends over in chemistry and biology. I mean, how how do you do a lab? Our, uh, my friends over in a medical school. You know, how do you show students? You know, how to inspect the body and and deliver good medicine through a Zoom call. I mean, some of these things are just literally impossible to do. Right. Yeah. It's um. That that is. It makes you wonder what's what is uh you know it's, it's really forcing the the colleges and the university you know they're forced to go through this change in delivery method now and it makes you wonder okay is that is that going to be the future or do people determine and discover that hey this is this is probably an okay way to do education now what's the what's the ripple effect on the university systems do they have fewer brick and mortar and there's a there's a change in the cost structure of that because you know the people think that if I'm not going to class if I'm not sitting in a chair if I'm not using a brick and mortar then that th the obvious fallback on that is the cost should be cheaper you're not incurring as much cost now you may be incurring cost in a different area but it may not be as visible as that building so that's the that's kind of the natural way people are going to think and i know that there's already online universities out there um, and the the universities that are traditional that have brick and mortar they're going to tell you there's a difference between that and the and the online education that you get from the online university so but it's still it's going to force people to think that i mean that's a, that's an obvious question that people are going to ask yeah, well, let me uh, tell your audience the same thing I tell my students many times throughout the semester. Here's the rule you should live by. Continue to engage in an activity as long as the expected additional benefit is greater than the expected additional cost. Stop when those two are equal. And when I say activity, I mean lots of different things there. I mean eating drinking, sleeping, working, studying, working out, anything that you do, any activity, if the additional benefit is greater than the additional cost, you should continue. So the third key element was decisions are made at the margin. So you heard some great discussion between Joe and I there on the, on the show. So thank you for tuning in for another exciting episode of Answers That Count. You can look at all of our other past episodes uh, you can go to our website, AnswersThatCount.com. You can look on YouTube for Answers That Count. We're out there on all your favorite podcast platforms. So check us out there for some great episodes, great information about how to run your business, economic theories. That may sound boring, but it's not. 
we put a current spin on every one of those. We talk about how COVID has impacted uh, the work environment, how it interplays with the economic strategies and theories that, that are out there. So check out those shows. Thank you again for joining us on Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit answersthatcount.com.